feels good, don't it? And I have to tell you, I have to tell you, when I walked outside this morning, I thought, man, maybe I should go back in and put on some long pants. So I'm not sure how long the shorts thing will hold out. Uh, but then I started thinking, well, we've got pumpkins coming this afternoon, so um, I'll just uh, keep on the shorts and the tennis shoes. But man, it's cold out there. And I love it because finally it feels like football season, right? I mean, it's hard to get into football mode when it's 90 degrees out there or whatever, but it just feels right. It's supposed to be like this. I love the change in seasons, really, as much as anything else. I like what the change in seasons represent. We're in a, a time of harvest. It's, it's the fall. And one of the things that seasons do is they remind us that life changes. Isn't that true? Don't we all know that? I mean, we're, we're adults. and We know that life changes. Nothing stays the same, does it? I mean, if you're alive, you're changing. Living things, they change. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest. God just created life to change and have seasons. And here's something that I think is really important about seasons. Seasons are like a reminder from God that we can change. It's not just that things are changing around us. It's a reminder that we can change. Our lives can change. So, so listen, maybe you came in this morning. Maybe it's your first time at Rocky River. Maybe you're a long timer. But if you've come in this morning and your life is in a bad place, guess what? You can change it. You don't have to stay where you are. You can move. If you're in a rut, you don't have to stay in the rut. You can move on. Maybe you're here today and, and you have blown it in life. I mean, you've really, really, really messed up. Well, guess what? It's a brand new season. And so if you need a new start in life, just take it. You can change. The changing seasons remind us that life keeps going. Okay, you've been in a tough season, but now we're in a new season. I'm excited about the messages that God has given me for the next several weeks. To be honest with you, they're some of the most challenging messages that God has ever taught to me and has had me to prepare. Um, I'm praying for a great harvest in our church. And I think that the harvest really is a number of, of different things. Um, a harvest of souls. I mean, I think that's the thing. I mean, that's the great commission. Jesus gave us marching orders. He says, all authority, before he went into heaven, 
The, the last thing he said to his disciples, the last thing that he gives us, I mean, out of his own mouth is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the world, reaching people in my name and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm praying for a harvest of souls. I'm praying that God is taking us into a season where some people are going to be delivered from things. Like addiction. Like an unforgiving spirit. I'm praying that people are going to be set free. I'm praying that God will give us a harvest of restoration, that, that we'll see healing in relationships. Relationships between parents and children. R relationships between friends that have broken apart. Emotional healing. Physical healing. I'm praying that God will restore joy into some people who've lost their joy. You know, maybe it's circumstances in life, one thing and another. Maybe it's one big thing. Maybe it's a, a bunch of big things that have just sort of squashed you in life and it's sucked the joy out. I'm praying that no matter what your circumstances are, that during this new season that God will give you a harvest of joy in your life. Again, no matter what the circumstances might be. And I'm praying for revival. Our world needs it. When you watch the news, whatever your brand might be, you just remember that the solution is Jesus. No, no matter what the problem is, no matter what the hurt, no matter what the sickness is, no matter what the lack or the want is, the solution is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. What's missing is Jesus. And I'm praying for a revival in the world, but revival always begins in the church. I don't pastor another church. I pastor this one, so I'm praying that revival would start here. And I want to give you a little bit of a disclaimer. I don't think the devil wants you here. I don't think he wants you here today. I don't think he wants you to come back next week. I don't think he wants you to be back the week after that or the weeks after that. And you, you might be thinking, well, Jimmy, why in the world wouldn't the devil want me to be here? It's because I believe that over the next few weeks, God is going to set people free. I think he wants to set you free. 
over the next few weeks. I'm going to teach you how to be a biblical steward with your finances. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, oh gosh, he's going to start talking about money. I am, but I'm going to talk about a whole lot more than money. And I don't think that the, that the devil wants you here because the things that we're going to talk about, and I promise you today is not going to be about you giving money, so just sit back and relax a little bit, okay? Let's just cut the tension right there. But I don't think the devil wants you here because he knows that this has the potential to revive your life and bring revival in the world. And you might be thinking, Jimmy, what in the world does me learning something about biblical stewardship and giving money, what does that have to do with revival in the world? Well, let's talk about your life first. Here's how it can revive your life. You and I learning how to be biblical stewards could set us free from our creditors. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the borrower is slave to the lender. There are some slaves in this room right now. Slaves. Slaves to MasterCard, Visa, Best Buy, Rooms to Go, GMAC, Ford Motor Credit, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And we're slaves because we are so leveraged in debt. There's, there's no financial margin in our lives. I read this past week that at the end of 2013, that the average American owes $225,000. And about 70% of that is unsecured debt, which means it is to rooms to go. It is to um, uh, MasterCard and Visa. Several years ago, I read a report that said that seven of every $10 that is transacted in the world goes through Visa. I mean, think about that. And think about if you owe $80,000 in credit card debt and you're making monthly payments on that or minimum payments, you'll never pay that debt off. And so at least on paper, we are owned. And for some of you, and you don't have to say amen here, but you, you know how this feels because you're thinking about it right now because you're living with the, the pressure and the, the tension. Well, just imagine if God could change that in your life. No, it doesn't happen overnight, but think about if that could change. Think about that pressure valve of money that's released from your life. Think about how that would revive you. So how does it bring about revival to the world? 
If you were debt free, you could take that mission trip that God's put on your heart. If you weren't saddled with all of that debt, when God prompts your heart to give something to a a cause that's important, that really matters, and it needs your help, you could give money because you have money to give. Think think about what it would look like all across the world if, if Christians, if followers of Jesus the people who sit in churches, the people who do the volunteering, the people who build churches, think if we were not saddled with so much debt, we could make sure that every missionary who is God-called and has the heart to go could be sent and supplied. Every church building that needs to be built be built. We could do the work of the Lord. It, it would be a game changer. You know what frustrates me? Let me tell you what frustrates me. We live in the most exciting time the church has ever known to be the church. It's true. The biggest churches that have ever been built are in existence right now. With the pressing of just a few buttons, we can preach the gospel to the world thanks to technology. Those things are exciting, and they're also exciting because There are so many people that are searching for the truth that we have right here in this book. But so much of the opportunities are going to be lost. Why? Because we've chosen another master. Minimum payments. Mammon. Money. We've sown as Paul will say here in just a few minutes in the text we're going to look at. We've sown to the flesh and not the spiritual. We've given our lives and our resources for far too long to things that rust eats away, thieves carry away, and moths destroy. Things that don't last rather than investing in the eternal, things that will last forever. What a shame that God wants to call us to do things that we can't do because of money. You know, I've said for years that there Uh, are two things that the church is most afraid to talk about. It's almost like the church and the devil have gotten together and they've made an agreement. And Satan has said, okay, you can talk about anything you want to talk about except for sex and money. Leave the sex and the money up to me. 
You can talk about everything else. Want to talk about drinking? Go ahead. Want to talk about gluttony? Go ahead. Want to talk, what, leave sex and money up to me. So the result is that we live in a world that is swimming in pornography and drowning in debt. It's killing us. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it in a way that I hope and believe that God is going to set some people free. So, so where do you start? Where, where do you start? Where do you start with this in your own life? Well, I think that receiving a harvest and living blessed and living as a blessing to other people means that you begin by learning to live a new way. It means rethinking some things that the world has taught us about money that's just wrong. It means that we're going to have to let God teach us to not only be getters, but givers. And listen, I'll, I'll tell you this, that God's goal with our resources is not to build us a big old farm. The, the thing I don't want you to hear me preaching is some kind of health and wealth gospel that if you'll give $100, God promises to give you 10000 or that God wants you to be rich, or that somehow you can just name the things in this world that you want, claim them, and they're yours, because the Bible just doesn't teach that. What God wants to do is he wants to give you the heart of a farmer, to be a seed sower, to be a planter and a harvester. And ultimately, for this to happen, he's going to have to change your heart. He's going to have to change my heart. But Jesus said that money and resources really is a heart issue. In Matthew 6, 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart also will be. So let me, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. More than anything else... We are talking about growing our relationship with God. That's what this is about. It's about growing your relationship with Him. It's about having a heart change. It's about learning how to honor God with our finances, which again, Jesus says, is a heart issue. So are you still with me? You okay? You worried? Concerned? Relax. Take a deep breath. Alice, in, out. It's so good to see you here today and standing and everything. That was pretty cool. It's good to have you, Alice. Good to see you. Our main passage of the next several weeks is Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Corey, would you sneak back there and grab me a bottle of water? Thanks, man. Galatians 6, 7 through 10. If you guys are still with me, let's lean in. Here we go. This is Paul 
talking to the Christians in Galatia. He says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. In other words, you can't fool God. How many of us know that we can fool some people? How many of you have other people fooled? I mean, we can pull the wool over people's eyes. I mean, most of us are pretty good at one way or another at being deceptive. But you can't mock God. He's nobody's fool. He knows what's up. He knows what is going on in our lives. You will harvest what you plant. Or you will reap what you sow. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will have everlasting life from the Spirit. So he says you have two choices. You, you can invest your life into things that are in the natural world, that you can see, touch, feel. You know, things that lose their value, things that go away, or you can invest your life into things that will never decay, that will last forever. He says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to share with you what I think are the 10 biblical principles or laws that are in the Bible for reaping a harvest, for sowing and reaping. And listen, these laws do not just apply to our finances. They apply to our relationships. They apply to our words. They have to do with our talents. They have to do with our energy in our time in every other area of our lives and so it's not just about money but it's the way we live if you're looking at your message notes you'll see that i'd planned on giving you three principles today but i decided yesterday that i'm only going to give you the first two but over the next several weeks i'll give you all ten so if you're taking notes write this down here's principle number one everything begins as a seed everything begins as a seed every living thing starts as a seed listen every idea every achievement every dream every animal every plant you began as a seed every living thing begins as a seed, God has created the world around the seed principle. Let me show you this in the Bible. Look at Genesis 1.11. It's there in your notes. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that's what happened. And then he reaffirms this law or this principle after the great flood look at genesis 8 22 as long as the earth remains there will be planting and harvest cold and heat 
summer and winter, day and night. This explains why we have seeds, why we have seasons, why there's a time to plant and a time to harvest, because God created them. And listen, when God created, he embedded exponential potential in every seed. That means that every seed has what it needs potentially to multiply and to grow. Think about it like an acorn. A little acorn, when you plant it in the ground, it grows up to become an oak tree. And I know this seems elementary, but do you ever really think about it? I mean, and that oak tree, when it grows up, it, it then bears other acorns or oak tree seeds. And, and it has the potential for hundreds and even thousands of other oak trees who then multiply and over time they become a great forest. Do you see how this works? God grows big things that start as small things. Donnie mentioned earlier that next, next weekend, Rocky River Church is celebrating our 15th birthday. 15 years. I can't believe I'm getting that old. Not that I'm 15, but I was like 31 when we started the church, so I'm, I'm 46 now. In some ways, I really can't believe it. In some ways, it seems like it's been 30 years. But most of the time, I can't believe that we're almost 15 years old. I mean, in another year, we'll have a driver's license. I remember when we went into puberty. When I started Rocky Road Church 15 years ago with Karen, we had eight people meeting in our living room. And man, over the years, I mean, it hasn't always been easy. We haven't always gotten everything right. But today, there are hundreds of people who call Rocky River Church their home church. We're not a mega church, for sure, but over the years, we've baptized hundreds of people that will spend their eternity in heaven because they put their faith and trust in Christ here at Rocky River Church. God has done some amazing things with a small seed of people. That's what God does. Let, let me give you a verse. It's not in your outline. But this is a verse that's meant a lot to me over the years as a pastor and a church planter. Zechariah 4.10 says... Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Sometimes in life and work, you feel like you're just doing small, insignificant things. Maybe you feel like that right now in your life. Maybe you feel like you're not getting anywhere in your life, or you feel like you're just spinning your wheels, or you're stuck in a rut, or maybe you're just a, a, a few steps in to a journey that's going to be a long journey toward reaching your dreams. Always remember that the small things have to happen so that the bigger things can take place. Just keep taking the next steps and don't despise small beginnings. You remember the story in the Gospels of Jesus multiplying the loaves and fishes? 
Remember that story? The little boy offered his lunch to Jesus. It wasn't much, but he gave Jesus what he had. And Jesus took it, blessed it, broke it, had his disciples pass out the food, and Jesus fed a crowd of 5,000 people plus. And then after everyone had been fed, Jesus sent his disciples out with baskets to collect all the food. Each of them collected a basket. Twelve basketfuls are baskets full of leftovers. That's amazing. And that's what God does. Listen, whatever you're building right now, a family, career, maybe even a church, don't despise small, humble beginnings. Just dedicate it to the Lord. Give Him what you have. Ask Him to multiply the small things that are in your hand. Here's principle number two. Nothing happens until a seed is planted. I want you to lean in. This is, this is, this is heavy duty right here. Nothing happens until a seed is planted. Do we have any farmers in here? Show of hands. Got any farmers? No more honest-to-goodness farmers left around? Where? Where? Oh, yeah. I don't know how I missed you. Yep. True farmer right there. Probably always got something going on on your, on your farm. I, I'm not a farmer. I'm trapped in suburbia. But my grandpa, uh, Simpson, he, he was a preacher and a farmer. He was a preacher for 40 years, but he was a tenant farmer before that. And once you're a farmer, it's just, it's just inside of you. And uh, I'm a lot like him in, in many ways. And uh, I think I have that farming gene inside of me. But again, I'm trapped in suburbia. But I love to watch things grow. And so I like to plant things in the yard. And a few years ago, I, brought, uh, I bought some tulip bulbs because I like flowers. You know, you plant those things in the cold winter. You wait for them to come up in the spring. Well, I kept waiting for them to come up, and they never did. And I found out why a few weeks into the summer, I was cleaning some things out in the garage, and I found a box full of those tulip bulbs in them. I was like, oh, well, that makes sense now. I, I never planted them. box of seeds sitting on the shelf are worthless. They don't do anything until you plant them in the ground. You need to plant some seeds. If you're going to reap a harvest, you've got to plant some seeds. So when are you going to start planting? What are you waiting on? Why haven't you started planting? And I know what some of you are, are saying right now. If you had a microphone and you could speak it back to me, you would say, Brother Jimmy, I'm just praying. Well, okay, that's good. That's a good thing. Prayer is a good thing. But listen, some of us use prayer to just be one more reason for not planting anything. 
You think that you're waiting on God. You think that you're waiting on God to give you some kind of, of answer. You need a job, so you're praying about the job. You're asking God to give you a job, or you're praying for a husband or a wife. And ladies, I recommend you think that through. But, but you're, you're praying for someone to marry, and you think that you're waiting on God, but have you ever thought that maybe God's waiting on you? Maybe God is waiting for you to take a step, to plant a seed. Listen, prayer is important, but don't use that as an excuse for not doing anything. If you need a job, don't just pray about that job. Get your resume together. If you need a job, pray about it, but go and fill out some applications. Plant a seed. A farmer doesn't just sit around and pray that God will give him a harvest in an unplanted field, does he? Not a successful one. And maybe that doesn't sound so spiritual to you, but it's the truth. And I really think that maybe God is saying to some of us, you have barren fields, you need a harvest, get off your spiritual derriere and go plant some seeds. Every living thing begins with a seed, but nothing happens until the seed's planted. And can I tell you why this is so vital, so important to, way, to the way God has set everything up, to the way He structured things? It's because seed planting takes faith. And when you plant a seed, you're, you're giving what you have to God. You, you're, you're digging a hole and you're burying it. And so now you have to trust God because it's not in your hands. Truth be known, most of us trust ourselves more than we trust God. Truth be known, most of us have more faith in what we can do than in what God can do. But when we plant a seed, we give it to God when we dig that hole and put it in the ground, then it's out of our control and it's in God's hands. Planting seeds takes faith. Listen, it's the kind of faith that glorifies God. It's the kind of faith that He honors. In John 12, 24, Jesus explained this principle to us. When He told us why He came to the world to die on the cross for our sins, he said, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. It's just one kernel. In other words, the tulips are not going to grow sitting on a shelf in the garage. You've got to plant it. He goes on to say, but its death will produce many kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. He's talking about his death, his burial, his resurrection from the grave. And because Jesus had faith, because he was obedient to God, because he died on the cross, was planted in the ground, but came back to life, he grew out of the ground. Now billions of people 
who have put our faith and our trust in him, we're raised to new life. And now we represent Jesus out in the world. And so now Jesus continues to grow and multiply through our lives. You see how this works? Jesus is multiplied in us. And so here's the principle in a nutshell. Whenever I have a need, I have to plant a seed. What do you need? Is it something in your marriage? Is it something in your finances? Other relationships? Plant a seed. Stop complaining. Stop crying. Get a shovel. Dig a hole. Plant some seeds. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the Bible. It's your word to us. It's alive, it's active. It's amazing to me how it speaks to every situation, to every generation. It's like a light for our paths when things are dark and It, it leads us out of the darkness and into the light. It points out truth. And if we let it, it really does direct and guide our life. Lord, some of us some of us right here are living in darkness in one area or another. Because we all struggle with something. For some, it's an addiction. For others, it could be the darkness of unforgiveness and bitterness. Some of us are drowning underneath financial burden. Lord, I don't know if over the next few weeks you're wanting to speak to 10 people or 100 people or 500 people. 
But I know that you're leading us this way in your word to talk about the principles of sowing and reaping because it's such an important issue. And Lord, as we've already said today, it's a matter of setting captives free. So God, I just, I want to pray this way before we, we close in a song. I just want to ask you to keep us open. That we, we would be fertile soil. Our lives, our hearts, our minds. So that you can plant the seed of knowledge in our lives and that it will grow into us understanding your principles, your laws about sowing and reaping. And Lord, I do pray for harvest in our church. A harvest of resources. harvest of souls that are added to your kingdom. A harvest of wisdom and knowledge. A harvest of love for one another and for others. A harvest of joy and blessing. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. I want us to stand together now, and we're, we're literally going to close with this song. been trying to think of a good way all morning to to say this because I don't I don't want I don't want to seem like a caricature or a stereotype I don't want to say things in such a way that you think oh it's just preacher talk but I believe that this month, even, that God is going to do amazing things in our church. And you know who the church is, right? It's us. It's you and me. I don't mean He's going to do something amazing by making the grass out front greener. I'm not saying that He's... he's uh, you know, going to do something amazing in our church and it's going to be abracadabra and phase two of our building is going to be. I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about your life. 
I'm talking about my life. I'm talking about our lives. I believe God is going to do some things, supernatural things in people's lives, your life and mine. And I'm just asking you to be open to hear what God wants to say, to do what He asks you to do, to say what He tells you to say, to give what He tells you to give, to learn what he wants you to learn. And just see what he does. See what happens. Let's sing. And then Jeff, at the end, I, I don't even want us to pray again. I just At the end of the song, I just want you to dismiss us. But during this song, I want this to be your opening up your life to God song. I want this to be your song where you say, God, I'm, I'm opening up my life to you. I want you to do what you want to do. We do that. Let's sing. God bless you.